Science has been part of the creative DNA of Doctor Who since the beginning, because just like scientific thinking, this is a show with limitless curiosity. So says Mark Gatiss as he welcomes you to the Doctor Who Worlds of Wonder exhibition. I'm Jason, welcome to the Trap One podcast, and joining me today is... Mark. Welcome. So we were very fortunate to go along to the new Doctor Who Worlds of Wonder exhibition, which is currently on at the Liverpool National Museum in Liverpool, of all places. Uh, We went on Saturday, and in this podcast we'll be discussing uh, what we saw, what we liked, and uh, how good it is, and that you should get yourself over there as soon as possible. Definitely, yeah, and it was very good to to meet you in person finally. We've been podcasting together for five years or more, and uh, yeah, and Despite being one of the people that I podcast with that lives closest to me, uh, it was the first time we'd uh, we'd met up in person, so that was very nice. And lovely to meet your charming fiance and son as well. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, uh, they did uh, come along for a bit of a day trip out as well, uh, even though uh, two of them <laughs> were probably not as interested in Doctor Who as what we are, <laughs> but they enjoyed it as well, which is a good, I think, tester for uh, anybody who's got a uh, long-suffering partners or they have to drag the kids along to stuff like this so um obviously this um i didn't actually know um it does take a lot of things from the old doctor who experience which was in cardiff for several years and unfortunately closed down in uh, 2017 i think it was now um Mm -hmm. so it takes uh, some props and um some uh, exhibits from there but this is a world premiere exhibition and, and this is the first time it's been put on. So it kind of like gives you the links between uh, Doctor Who and obviously science and nature, which I thought it did really, really well. Um, so what was your first thoughts, Mark? Yeah, it was it was a nice idea that thinking back to the origins of Doctor Who uh, was was being to to educate as well as as well as sort of, uh, I guess, well, scare kids and, and thrill them and stuff. So, yeah. That that was a nice side of it that that they they'd married it up with some real science. Um, I I love like you say there's, there was some props there that, that we'd seen before at the Doctor Experience. The way that it's laid out is really really impressive. There I think the so one of the first things you see is the first Doctor TARDIS console, which I imagine is the one built for an adventure in space and time. And you can walk all the way around it, yeah, so it's 360 degrees all the way around it, which um, I think I'm right in saying at Cardiff, they had that one and they had the Five Doctors one, but you could you could only sort of get halfway around it, whereas you could walk all the way around it, which was uh, which is a really nice touch at this one, I thought. It was, yeah, and obviously that subsequently then turned up, I think, didn't it, in uh, the Capaldi season finale, Hell Bent, Series 9, uh, and then obviously twice upon a time it was in there and then they, I think they also used it as um, the Fugitive Doctor's um, TARDIS console when she's uh, popped up as well in the uh, Jodie Whittaker era. It's so beautiful. You'd want to use it, once it's built, you'd want to use it as many times uh, as possible. It is. I mean, it, it's, I mean, I remember when we were walking around it and I loved the fact, just the attention to detail, that they still had the letter stret, um like punched uh, descriptions yeah. <laughs> of what each like um, switch did, which is obviously what was on the original console back in the nineteen sixties. So I just thought that was a lovely little touch there. 
Yeah, that was terrific. It was nice. It was lit up so that you stand and looking at it for a while and, and different parts of the console lit up. The central column, it didn't, I didn't see it move up and down. I don't know if it does that every so often, but that was lit up. It was going around though, wasn't it? Yeah, it looked beautiful. Yeah. One of the things I did like is obviously uh, this is located on the second floor of the National Museum at Liverpool. Uh, and obviously you've got like other exhibits, like there's an aquarium on the first floor. Uh, there's a like um, a medieval and, and Egypt section. Uh, there's a bit with creepy crawlies and bugs and reptiles, if you like that kind of thing. Uh, there's a space section that's right on the fifth floor, I believe, with a planetarium. Um, but it's good because obviously it takes up the whole of the second floor virtually, and um, the rest of the ex- uh, the rest of the museum is free. Uh, I think we should just point out. And, but for this exhibit, you do have to pay, and I thought it was good value for money. So once you obviously scan your tickets and there's a guy at the entrance, you walked down that corridor, didn't you? And I loved the fact that they had the mock-up of the TARDIS. So you're actually going through the TARDIS doors and then that's when you like see the first Doctor console straight away. I thought that was a lovely touch. Yeah, that's like the classic. I I, I never went, but the Blackpool thing as well, isn't it? The uh, The original Blackpool exhibition, it was you walking through the TARDIS door to get in, it's... It's an absolute classic way of, of getting in, and even as an adult, it gives you a little thrill. I think of uh, of walking through the walking through the TARDIS doors. It does. I mean, I I, I used to go to the Blackpool exhibition um, way back in the I'm sure my age now the 1970s and the 1980s, and uh, yeah, I do remember that whole thrill of like you literally that TARDIS was larger than life, and you used to walk in it, and then you'd go downstairs into the basement. And then you'd have all the exhibits and then you'd the TARDIS console in the middle, uh, in the centrepiece of, of the exhibition. So it was a nice little callback, I thought, as was the the wall that had all the uh, the doctors on it, which was uh, surrounding part of the, the console and gave a little brief description of each one, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose a bit like the at the... The experience they had all the costumes in a semicircle, didn't they? Where I think they just had the first Doctor's costume near the beginning of this one, and then the thirteenth Doctor's one kind of really near the end uh, to sort of bookend it. But don't think now they didn't have any others, did they? In between, I don't think this time. And there's a nice little there's a monitor uh, obviously with uh, a nice little introduction from Mark Gatiss, which uh, obviously I cribbed a little bit of it at the beginning of the uh, the podcast here, and uh, he just gives a like a brief overview of of the show and how it started. You know, he gives credit to obviously Sydney Newman and Verity Lambert, um, and then obviously like links it into obviously how it's always been like a science based kind of show, even though effectively science fiction it's always trying to be grounded there and uh, they had a um as well as sydney newman and verity lambert's um photos on the wall they also had um other um, numerous like scientific minds that have worked on the show so you had dr kit peddler if i remember right yeah and was there douglas adams was on there as well um, yeah, as the I suppose they're the, the the main writers that I suppose were were taking things from scientific journals or new scientists things like that, wasn't it? That I think Christopher H. Bidmead used to read and uh, and get inspiration from. Yeah, and I think 
obviously because it's coming from a, like an educational point of view uh, this like ex- exhibit um there was lots of little um kind of like video monitors like throughout um showing lots of like different like um videos now some of them were just showing pure um clips from the show there was a great one that i watched um that my my lad pointed out and, and dragged me over to which kind of like was a compilation of all the different kind of scenes where they say it's bigger on the inside and, and explaining the TARDIS um, and how potentially like with wormhole, t- wormhole technology that could have be theoretically possible. And it starts with the, the brilliant scene from Robots of Death where the Doctor tries to explain um, transcendental engineering to Leela with the boxes. I've always loved that yeah. scene, and it, it's that's the like the opening bit. Um, but then you've also got like more scientific based um, videos throughout, um, which obviously feature like numerous scientists. Professor Brian Cox wasn't on though, from the ones that I saw, surprisingly. Yeah, you thought they because he around the fiftieth anniversary they they did a. Um... A sort of a lecture with him, didn't they? Where he tied in things from Doctor Who to to real science. That's right. Isn't that on one of the, the Blu-ray box sets? I think I think it's the the fiftieth one. Yeah, it's the science of yeah. Doctor Who, wasn't it? I think it was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been one maybe that they could have used. Yeah, I think going in, I didn't know, uh, you know, what the balance would be like between Doctor Who and sort of real science. But I think they got it just right because there is. Like you say, it takes up the whole floor. There is a ton of Doctor Who stuff in there, mm. um, but the the yeah the other stuff just sort of punctuates it and and yeah kind of illustrates. It's kind of in sections, isn't it? Where you've got like robotics is one of the early ones. Yeah. Um, so you've got examples of robots from Doctor Who, and then some educational stuff about about robots as well. So it's yeah, it's really well worked out like that see uh for for, for me and, and probably for yourself as well because we've we've done a whole podcast on the k1 giant robot uh one of the absolute highlights one of the earliest people that's uh, people <laughs> the earliest uh exhibits that you see is the giant robot himself restored and in all his glory just absolutely fantastic to see him not behind glass or anything as well just kind of right there standing in front of you I think you and me were both were. I think we were still there for about 10 minutes just looking yeah. at it in awe, <laughs> weren't we? Just like the sheer detail of it and the yeah. fact that it, it's in such a good condition. And I think, as, as we know, Mike Tucker, um, who was you know a Doctor Who FX uh, expert, worked on the show, did a brilliant job several years ago of, of restoring it back to its proper luster, mm. I think, for uh, when it went to the Cardiff Experience um but yeah just, just to actually see that and i think we commented on this didn't we as we were going around the exhibits felt a lot more personal because they were a lot closer there wasn't that huge like barrier that you get between exhibits that you normally get at these kind of things yeah that's it they, they, they weren't roped off they weren't behind glass they, they they're right there so you, you, as well as being able to sort of see you know like with the console either 360 degrees or or you know, kind of get get see most of the way around it and see it from different angles. Um, I think with the K one as well, we, we were discussing struck by just what it must have been like to wear it when you can sort of see it that that close in front of you as well. What a daunting prospect it must have been for Michael Kilgariff to uh, to have put that on and had to give a performance and move around in it. 
Yeah, because I mean, even the, I think the the little kind of stagey plinth that these exhibits were on at that opening area, they, it wasn't that big a plinth, was it really? But no. then the giant robot was just like <laughs> literally just towers above you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it is remains one of the most favourite you know designs from the show. Um, you know. I'm just, I just absolutely love that, you know, and I think it, it, you know, part of it comes down to like reading the target book as a kid yeah. and wanting the Dennis Fisher like action figure, which I never got, and then jumping for joy when character did the uh, their own like more accurate version. So, yeah, I mean, I could have like probably stood there for about another like you know twenty minutes like just staring at it. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an incredible design. And it was good to see, um, well, how busy it was as well. I know it was a Saturday, but it's been open since May. So it was great to see the number of uh, visitors in there. Um, And I did hear a little kid say to his mum, that's the big robot that tried to kill Tom Baker. So it was just like a really nice moment of a little kid who has watched the classic stuff as well and was was as excited to see the giant robot uh, as we were. So that, that was quite cool. Oh, that, that was cute. Uh, there was that other kid as well that was just jumping over the bloody uh, things and <laughs> nearly like went headfirst into the giant robot's arm, and it was like, "Oops!" <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, as you say, there's um, it is all sort of wide open like that, and there's plenty of attendants around to, I suppose, to stop kids trying to climb on it and things. Yeah, but yeah. You almost felt a little bit protective over it as well uh, when this kid uh, when this kid kind of clattered into it. Just wanted to go like, yeah. Yeah, do you not realise an important part of TV history? This <laughs> this is this is almost like a religious artifact. This is. <laughs> but um, I, I was astounded again, like like you said, just the sheer size and the amount of exhibits that were on there. Because um, when it was first announced, I think they they didn't really show much, and I think um, in the promotional materials that I've since like looked back at, they only really showed kind of like I think the TARDIS entrance the console and that opening bit with the giant robot and you had the um, canine without ears, bizarrely, yeah. um, which he doesn't have ears in the promotional photos, so I presume it's just that right. prop to stop people from breaking the ears off. Right, I see. Yeah, I, I was worried somebody had stolen them. <laughs> yeah, we, we did think that somebody had like, perhaps like, like that um, <laughs> and nicked them. Um not just you know causing any dispersion about the people of Liverpool at all. No, no. Um, but, um, yeah, but then I was surprised as we went then we went about the corner, <laughs> just how much more there was. Yeah, because a lot of the early stuff I saw was like it was a concept art as well. It wasn't actual photos. Um, but yeah, I think you, you've got to go to see the the full scale of it, like you say. Yeah, and they had two cabinets, didn't they, in that, in that first section? with all the Sonics in there as well as like yeah. River Sonic and the Masters Sonic and um and we, we did for a minute question the uh, second Doctor Sonic, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, could that could that possibly be the real one? Yeah. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably just a mock up, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, even the Sonic Kane from Let's Kill Hitler was in there, wasn't it? So it was, it uh, was yeah, yeah. And you had the uh, River Sonic was still in its box that the Doctor gives to her in the Husbands of River song. Yeah. And you had the Sonic Trowel as well, which I don't think I've ever seen uh, any of these things like before. No. 
Uh, and we noticed, obviously, um, Peter Capaldi's Sonic, how just how much better it looks in person than it compared to like the toy version that they released. Yeah, the uh, the the second one that he has. Yeah, it looks so much more impressive in in real life. It looks uh, much more like a scientific instrument, doesn't it? Than it could, sometimes your screen looked a bit like a toy, and then obviously the the toy version is much more plasticky. But yeah, it looked uh, that looked really impressive uh, in person because it only it was only one season, wasn't it? That one as well. So it's, it was, yeah. It was only the at the end of the ninth season, wasn't it? When he got it, and then into the tenth season. Yeah. So then, obviously, as you walk in them round, you've got like, um, like kind of like the robots and the Sonics and that kind of like aspect to it. And then um, something I think not, neither of us had seen before was the the monster from Hyde, which looked very impressive in a, and that was in a glass case, wasn't it? Yeah, that one. Yeah, it kind of uh, some of the some of them had their own sort of enclosure so it's still still kind of open to the air but but it's kind of a, like a mirrored background because uh, yeah mm. the hide monster and and omega and the 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 fisher king had that didn't they but yeah because yes. i suppose because the experience has been closed for so long now some of the uh some of the latest stuff from the capaldi or even and, and then into the whitaker has never never been on display anywhere but yeah the uh, the hide monster i don't think i've ever seen displayed and is a really tall impressive looking prop and it's actually good to see him in detail because you don't get to see him that much detail very much in that episode um and you can see uh you can see on his neck is that sort of gauze bit where uh the actor would have <laughs> would have been able to look out which probably cgi'd out in the episode but yeah nice to see how it was constructed to get to it to allow the actor to to actually move around like that but again, it shows you just how much detail they put into things for something that's literally probably only seen on screen for a matter of seconds. And and all I recall from that episode um, is literally it's mainly the head that you see, isn't it, um, mm. in that episode? And obviously that head is kind of like twisted, like you say, it rises up from the actor's head who was in the costume. And then in the neck area, you've got that gauze-like area that, like you said, they probably would have painted out um, in the episode. But it was just—it's it, great to see these props and then see like the the detail to them. Um, and I think the way they were laid out was enabled you to do that a lot better than how some of them were laid out at uh, the experience in Cardiff. Hmm. Yeah, some of them, some of them really stood out from being on their own like that, didn't they? Um, and I think, like, probably going to be a recurring thing we'll talk about in this episode is is the attention to detail for things that you would never really pick up on on screen. Uh, it's jumping ahead a little bit, but the the Sea Devil costume from Legend of the Sea Devils was there, and yeah. there's little bits of sort of barnacles on the on, on his glove and things like that. So it's almost like uh, hemovore skin, and mm. yeah, just just really really detailed beautiful costume that uh that you you never really get much of a close-up enough to to see these things no like you say you know these kind of things are probably like momentarily on on screen for seconds or, or minutes if that but you know it's it's it just shows like the dedication of the the artists and the the makeup people and the costume people and the visual effects people of just how much detail they put into it and um there was a lot of like uh, we saw like pre-production 
concept art, wasn't there? Like of uh, there was one of Prisoner Zero from the Eleventh Hour, which looked quite startlingly different from how it actually appeared in the show. It was like an early concept um, um, drawing, wasn't it? Yeah, I love seeing all that sort of stuff, and then how it evolved uh, to yeah to be sort of made or uh, rendered, I suppose, like that. I wonder if, if like the sort of the, the advent of HD has meant that costume designers uh, have to uh, up the game a little bit, especially compared to the the classic series when uh, you get away a little bit more with um, <laughs> you know kind of uh, the joins in the costume. Everything. Yeah. True, but then linking that back to like obviously what we've been saying again. The Omega costume from Ark of Infinity. Yes. How good did that look in person? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's been restored or whether it's just been incredibly well preserved, but it, it mm. looks amazing, doesn't it? it I've, uh, yeah, I've got the picture of that open in front of me now. And um, uh, I think what struck me seeing it in, in, in real life was that on the day that how much the mask looks a bit like sort of an HR Geiger sort of design, which I'd never really picked up on before. Yeah, and obviously it had like kind of like the, the, something that you didn't re- really see was like kind of like almost like veins going through some of the the areas on the head. Yeah, um, which again is it's something that you probably wouldn't have noticed on on television, watching it way back in nineteen eighty three because you know TVs were a lot smaller and stuff. You, you yeah. know, I'm obviously when season twenty gets released on Blu Ray in the collection, you know we might be able to see that in a bit more detail, but. Um, yeah, I mean the the, the almost kind of like um, animal kind of like like quality to the the front of the mask, you know, where it's it almost looks like looks like um, dyed ivory, doesn't it? Which I thought was like really astounding. And and I suppose the, um, the the makers had to be a bit more cunning then. So like we're saying with the hide costume you'd have a sort of a gauze bit that the actor can see through that could be digitally painted out. Back in the 80s, you haven't really got that option. You have to sort of clever, more cleverly build it into the mask and the costume um, as, a, as a way for the actor to be able to see out like that as well. And you could you could see a little bit, I think, in there of um, of how you know be, the, the actor's eyes, I suppose, would be recessed back a little bit and uh, would be able to see out of it there. Yeah, you could. You could see the partition bit couldn't you which again is something that we both commented on when we were stood in front of it that we'd never noticed before yeah and just even looking at the photo now the the sort of crest in the uh in the middle of his chest is almost like the what they use for like modern gallifrey and writing isn't it it is yeah yeah it it, yeah it's very like almost like a, a, a prototype gallifrey and um seal of rassilon but not quite formed yeah you know little touches like that that you just probably like never really noticed or kind of like cottoned onto before um that you're just able to then see in person you know as you're walking around and in that area we have to mention the the obvious thing that i think they'd have all these kind of um uh, exhibitions and stuff. You had the uh, make your voice sound like a Dalek exhibit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which neither of us. Tried. No. <laughs> Although my son Zach did that. Did it a go. <laughs> yeah, that was cool because it was um, sort of an old school microphone with the ring modulator. 
um, the act, well, an actual ring modulator there. Because it used to be housed in that Dalek, which has got the, when it was at the Doctor Experience with the back section cut away, uh, where you could sort of get in that, which is still there, but without that voice changer. So you can just get in and manipulate the uh, the gun and the, the the sucker arm now, can't you? Which is, uh, which is still pretty cool. You can't, but you know, when when you're doing that, you can't help but do the voice as well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like you know, neither of us did, but you know, my son stepped up and he uh, yeah. pretended to be Zach Alec. Uh, no, and it's great, great. The stuff's there for for kids like that as well. Make it make it more interactive and exciting. Um, well, I think we were both sort of thinking, um, kind of sizing it up. Like, could we fit a real life Dalek at home somewhere if uh, <laughs> if our other house would would it let us? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, credit where credit is due, and this is a copyright uh, trap one uh, idea. Uh, you did come up with a business idea of selling half Daleks, as in like cutting half, so that if you haven't got that space, you just have it like kind of like stuck to the wall so it looks like it's coming out of a wall or in a corner. Just the front half, yeah. I think I think that would be a that would be a good idea for this planet Earth, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think you need to send them an email and say, look, I've, I've got a business proposition for you. Yeah. <laughs> In in that section, there was mainly um, stuff about uh, nature and, and obviously how it, it links into the show. Uh, and also there was um, another couple of videos because um, you had on the opposite side of it, we had some of the spaceships that were made for the 2017 version of Sharda, weren't they, by Mike Tucker. Yeah, it's great to see those uh, the, the the space station that, that's at the I can't remember what it's called now. The it's the one where all the scientists are, isn't it? When uh, when Skagra drains all the yeah. mines into the into the orb, and also Skagra's spaceship, which was built by Mike Tucker using only model kits that that were around in 1979 to, to the original designs, and then filmed only using techniques that would have been available as well. So that was. Uh, uh, that was nice and really nice to see see them in real life because they're quite quite sizable as well aren't they it's quite yeah yeah very very big um and obviously mike tucker was in a, one of the videos at the side of it that you could select uh mm. as well as matt irvine who is uh, obviously you know um bbc visual effects uh guru from the 1970s always used to pop up on swap shop or uh, saturday superstore demonstrating yeah. the um kind of like how effects were made and his video was quite interesting because, again, it links into the whole um, Doctor Who and science uh, aspects of the exhibition. So what he was saying is, like, obviously when they did, him and Ian Schoons did the effects for The Invisible Enemy, that none of them really knew what Titan looked like because there wasn't any accurate kind of reference footage. Um, all they had was something from one of the early space probes that just showed that it was kind of like a bit, Potentially a grey blob in space. Mm. So they guessed, oh, it's probably going to be like the moon. So that's what the design was of the, the space station on Titan. And obviously they did the ships accordingly. Uh, and then he said 
we were able to then revisit it um, for the DVD and update the effects because I still had the original shuttle model, but by then, better probes and plus the Hubble um, Space Telescope showed us that Titan was actually um, similar to Mars and had like orange landscape and had an atmosphere. So um, it wasn't like a proper, like, like our moon. And, and so that's why they did Titan as it appears in the updated CGI effects for the DVD. And they did a comparison uh, of uh, the same shots of the shuttle landing. So I thought that was nice, the way it links in the science, uh, real science, and obviously Doctor Who as well. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Well, there are some other um, videos um, that you can see, uh, and they do have two of them up on the the Worlds of Wonder website, which I'm sure you'll probably link to um, when we put the uh, the podcast out. Um, and two of them were: Is time travel possible? And could alien life exist? And they featured some uh, academics. Um, obviously discussing about, you know, those concepts of, of whether or not, you know, that links in. So um, that that's nice that they've put some of the content up on the website for you to see, to give you an in- inkling of, of what the exhibition is like. Yeah, and, and again, that would be able to make it as well, so it's good to get a sense of it through, through the website like that. They also had a display of all the, the numerous spacesuits, didn't they? Uh, and again, it was another thing where it's great to see how much detail gets put into them. So they had the the spacesuits from Oxygen, the the one from the Impossible Astronaut, which is obviously like a, a recreation of a proper NASA one. Yeah, the ones from the Silence in the Library. Which uh, which also had the skull inside the the space helmet as well. The, uh, the yeah, that was a nice creepy little. Who turned uh, out the lights? And then the uh, the probably the most famous is the the orange spacesuit. Which, uh, judging by the trailer that was released while while we were in the exhibition, uh, we're going to see three more examples of in the Power of the Doctor. But but goes back to the Impossible Planet, doesn't it? I think was the the first instance of that. Yeah, uh, season two with David Tennant, wasn't it? I think the first time yeah. we saw that spacesuit. And like I say, it's, it's since turned up several times, like since throughout uh, the the new series. Yeah, it's become uh, it's become a nice kind of re- recurring motif. So I think the one that they've got, did they say it was Clara's from... Kill from the Moon, High. didn't they? I think it did. Oh, it said it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, another doctor wears it in high. He wears one in high, doesn't he? When, when he goes out to take the photos through time. Yes. Am I remembering that right? Maybe I'm not. This this one is from Kill the Moon, though. Uh, you're quite right. Yeah. And obviously, at the end of that uh, candlelight area, they had the obligatory uh, TARDIS prop, uh, and this one was yeah. the uh, current TARDIS. It was uh, the thirteenth Doctor's TARDIS, which was nice to see because it has a. Um, Again, it's something that we were able to get up close to. You can have your photo taken uh, with it. Um, just how much more um, closer it is to the classic series TARDIS than it is to the the ones we've had in the new series mm-hmm. in design. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd seen it. Uh, well, it's not been really on display before, I don't think, has it? But yeah, I think the detail on the windows, the um, the sort of the vertical... I don't know what you call it, 
sort of almost like frosted but with vertical lines in it um i'd never really sort of picked up on on screen yeah. before um and yeah, i don't think yeah, i don't think you could walk past it without getting a photo with it i think you'd be uh definitely have to be a lot stronger world than uh, than i am anyway to uh to not want a picture with it <laughs> oh it's gonna be done it's gonna be done yeah. hasn't it <laughs> Uh, so we've got a picture with us both standing in front of it that um, that I'll tweet out with the uh, with, with the link to the episode. Oh, we have a few pictures like that, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> Shortly, I think just around the corner from that is the the Fisher King costume from beneath the lake. Under beneath the, the lake. Yeah. No, hold on. Uh, before the flood, under the lake. That's it, yeah. Yeah, the, the two-parter from Series 9. And again, don't think we've seen this costume on display anywhere before. Uh, I looked at my photos from when I last went before it, Cardiff uh, experience closed down. And um, yeah, it wasn't on display there. It's not in any of the photos uh, that I've got. Um, so yeah, that's the first time that uh, I think we'd had the opportunity to see that, and that is just—it's another thing similar to the the K one robot, just how mm. imposing it is in person when you see it. Yeah, it looks amazing, and, it, and it's one of the ones that's got its own little little plinth uh, kind of um, like sort of little mirrored backdrop. But yeah, it just absolutely towers over you. Again, the detail on it that because it's not a character that's on screen that much, I think in the episode. And then some of it's, it's quite in shadow, isn't it? When, when the doctor's talking to yeah. it and it's, it's, it's incredibly detailed, like the, the way the claws, the, and I don't think I remember from the episode, the sort of like biomechanical element of it as well. It's got sort of cables plugged into its skull, um, which then go into the back of the, the sort of big kind of shell hood that comes yeah. over the top of it. Um, it's yeah, it's just an absolutely fantastic design. Uh, yeah, it's such a shit because you just kind of one off killed off, wasn't it? It would uh, yeah, it just looks so amazing. You think it was a recurring villain that would that would keep coming back, and its head was almost like like a bone structure, wasn't it? When you you could like look at it up close, but it had like coming like away from it and around it and into like as it went further down there was kind of like this membrane over it which again yeah. like that you know it's it's that little attention to detail which i don't think you'd even pick up um on screen um i remember really liking those two uh episodes again written mm. by toby uh Whitehouse, weren't they um yeah who was you know one of my favorite uh new series uh who writers uh, i don't think the episodes were quite well received at the time were they uh from that series um certainly that two part of it was yeah um i remember i remember really enjoying that story yeah um yeah i can't quite remember what the it's not one that really gets talked about very much now i suppose so maybe it's a bit of a bit of a uh an overlooked story well it's like the, the detail just going into that mask where the way the kind of like the bone kind of like goes inwards towards what you assume is the mouth and then you've mm. got the way the eyes are inset like through the sockets again it's really creepy when you're like there looking at it and i remember before we got round that corner um my son zach had already kind of run ahead a little bit and then he came round the corner and he went there's a really big scary alien around <laughs> this corner and we were like oh well i wonder what that is 
yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, and it's yeah. I think I think the fact that the eyes are just sort of dark holes makes it look a bit more kind of mysterious. And yeah, the the, the sort of skull and the bones across his chest and arms. It's can't tell whether it's armor or exoskeleton. And, and the, like as you said, it's sort of that these ones were like kind of like with a mirrored kind of background, so it enabled you to see the back of the the costume that mm. you probably wouldn't be able to see if it was just like in a normal kind of like alcove plinth kind of thing. Yeah, definitely one of the highlights, I think, that one for me, because I say because I hadn't seen it before and it's such an impressive, imposing costume. It's almost like a little bit like the Predator, isn't it, when you look at the the way that the mouth opens out at the bottom. Well, again, you know, um, you can just marvel in the sheer detail that they put into these things. You know, for what is a brief couple of like minutes, you know, on a TV episode, you know, sadly, you know, the Fisher King, you know, it's such a great design, but it's it's a one-off, isn't it? And it's, I don't think anybody's clamoring really to have that monster come back, which is, you know, kind of like a shame that it's a one-off because it just looks so cool. Because what I'd forgotten, and what we learn later on when there's um, there's a map, isn't it? And it tells you the sort of notable Doctor Who people who come from Liverpool. That mm. Peter Serenifowitz did the voice, which I had completely forgotten or never knew that was the voice of the Fisher King as well. Yeah, the, well, there was a huge list of people that are uh, like Liverpool or linked to Liverpool who have been in the mm. show or been behind the scenes in the show. Um, I've just got a few of them that I've written down here. Uh, again, there's another little, nice little, um, it's kind of like an article um, on the Worlds of Wonder website. And it obviously gives a little bit of a brief description. Tom Baker, you've got Paul McGann, you've got Elizabeth Sladen, you've got Maureen O'Brien, who I never knew was from Liverpool. No, you got David Morrissey, you obviously you've got John Bishop. Uh, you got the current showrunner or outgoing showrunner, Chris Chibnall. Um, and it also has a little link, and this is something that I never knew, um, to a Vodafone advert from 1996, which apparently is the last thing that John Pertwee ever filmed um, as the Doctor, because he's not in the Doctor Gar, but he literally plays a guy who has a fob watch and walks into a mysterious kind of like box that says Doctor on Call painted on it and in and there's all this steam coming out, and it's like, yeah, it's like, wow. So that apparently was filmed in Liverpool as well, so that's a little link there as well. Wow, I don't remember ever seeing that advert. That's that's cool. Yeah. I, I remember it at the time because it has Kyle MacLachlan in it, and it's kind of like, you know, from Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, and Blue Velvet and those kind of films. And it's kind of like an X-Filey kind of like vibe of him playing like an investigator and he's investigating somebody else, but then literally down the road from him, you see John Pertwee up to mysterious things and walks into uh, this like um, garage outhouse that then closes and says Doctor on call, uh, painted on the front of it. Right. Apparently his last time a bit filmed for uh, where he appeared as the Doctor. I've put a link to that in the show notes as well and find it, yeah. Mm. I suppose some of the older actors like Maureen O'Brien, that was that was the era where if you had a Liverpool accent, you'd you'd have to lose it to work in television. 
So you, you wouldn't know that, that, that of people of that generation, because Elizabeth Slade and Tom Baker as well, you, yeah. there's, there's no hint of a Scouse accent, is there? Yeah, it was the, kind of like the days when drama schools um, taught received, it was, is it called received pronunciation, it's called? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, where you, uh, yeah, re- regional accents were, were discouraged. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you talk the Queen's English because that's how everybody talks on, on the television. Yeah. But then, um, obviously, as the Fisher King is kind of like the, the first thing where it's kind of like you're walking into like the, the main um, area of the monsters, aren't you? Where there's a huge amount of. Um, props and costumes from encompassing like the whole era of the show. Um, Cause you've got, you've got the 1967 ice warrior costume yeah. stood next to the Empress uh, ice warrior from um, Empress of Mars in season mm-hmm. 10. Um, and I actually thought the, the 67 Ice Warrior costume looked in better condition than the yeah. actual more recent one because her head, her head was a bit lopsided and leaning over to the side, wasn't it? Yeah, I think there's some costumes like that where maybe more so you you need a person inside them. Uh, you know, if you, I suppose you've just got the mask and it's uh, they've just put stuffing in or whatever, uh, it doesn't quite sit the same. Yeah, it's. Uh, they, I guess they must have been restored, but some of the old costumes, they say, look terrific. Whereas, well, in that same section, the the dreg from Orphan Fifty Five, uh, you could there was a little bit of signs of wear on him, wasn't there? There was, yeah. uh, you know, see a little bit of um, sort of a bit scratches, sort of thing. Uh, and then one of his fingers had fallen off and was lying on the floor by his feet. That's right. Which I actually think probably somebody's gone to touch it. Because literally there are no kind of like barriers are there in this mm. section at all. And they probably just like accidentally broke off the fingernail. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> they placed it on the floor next to his foot. But like you said, yeah, if you got closer and, and looked at the, the stomach area, you could see part of the, the latex of that costume was starting to like kind of break away and, and crumble, uh, which is quite surprising yeah. actually, because I thought the the kind of like the latex kind of things that they use these days are a lot more durable, but obviously uh, probably not. Um, but again, that, that's another great uh, monster design. You know, I, I don't think the episode's that fondly uh, regarded, uh, but again, you know, it's great to see something like that up close mm. and. Um, one of the things I think it did well in that area is in the opposite corner from where the dreg was, it had kind of like a spinning wheel where you had a, a established Doctor Who monster and it's links to uh, nature and real-life animals. So obviously, you know, you could match up. If you spun the wheel and got a rhino, you'd then spin the outer wheel to get to the Jadoon, and then it would tell you a little bit of where they took the inspiration from. And I thought that's a nice little a touch for, you know, certainly for uh, younger visitors to have a play around and, and look into like where like people get their inspiration when they design these kind of monsters. Yeah, the octopus as well, wasn't it? Or a squid, and, uh, and it was the, the ood. Yeah. You had all the silence hanging from the ceiling as well. Yeah. You'd forgotten about that, hadn't you? 
I had, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was um, that was in the in the doctor experience as well, wasn't it? I think um, like that as well, where they're hanging from the ceiling like bats. So it's like that was. Uh, I suppose maybe more of a model than, than costumes because in the um, Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon two-parter, the, there's that sort of uh, it was like an orphanage or something, wasn't it? Like a haunted house where they were. Yeah, they were in the scene like that. So I guess they might have been designed just for that scene, not even maybe not to have anybody in them. And then. Yeah, kind of sort of bringing it back up to date in that corner as well. You had the new Santaran costume from Flux, uh, which just uh, with the, with the helmet on, so not not the kind of the mask or anything, but that looked that looked really kind of battle worn and yeah, less less kind of shiny. They were talking about the you know the sort of the Strax type ones with the blue. Didn't uh, they looked a bit sort of pristine? They didn't look look battle worn like uh, like these guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I really loved the the the, the most recent uh, Santana design from Flux because it, it, I think it's that really good, like kind of combination of the classic Santana, mm-hmm. and obviously, like you had the the David Tennant kind of like Matt Smith era Santana like Strax, you know, and it's that kind of like amalgamation of the two and going back to that that silver and black armor. And it was great to really see like how close that was, and see like the kind of like the rust or the battle like edges and worns and, and dints that they've put onto the armor. Uh, and again, obviously, that has links to Liverpool because a large amount of the you know um, Flux miniseries was set in Liverpool with the Santarans like virtually took over the uh, Liverpool docks, haven't they, with uh, yeah. their ships? So I thought that was nice to have that version of a Santaran there. Uh, mm. at this uh, museum and and bang up to date as i mentioned before is the the new sea devil as well which uh which again looked really really good in person um like i saying before loads of detail that that you would not necessarily see on screen uh, and and you can see uh, how just kind of great the face looked and everything i think uh you know what they did on screen sort of animate the mouth using cgi and the eyes and things but just have somebody um, somebody walking around in in this costume, uh, and it looks yeah, just looks terrific. I know I keep saying this about all of it, but yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's a really really cool costume. The the face and 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 everything is yeah, obviously very very authentic to the original Sea Devils as well. Yeah, it, it is, and it? it's nice that they've not gone too far to modernise it. And they've been really, really faithful in that concept because next to it, you've got two Silurian heads. You've got mm. one of the Silurians from Warriors of the Deep. Uh, and then you've got the modern kind of like Madame Bastra Silurian uh, where they had like a, a version of the makeup for that. Um, mm. So th- that was good that you've got like those kind of like two um, comparisons there. Yeah, kind of the evolution a bit, yeah. And obviously, you had to have a weeping angel. A weeping angel isn't in there, isn't it? Yeah, because they've got a couple of those, haven't they? There's one as you go in um, into the museum itself. Yes, kind of the, yeah, uh, the first yeah. thing that you see, and then and then one in this section as well. And then on the opposite side of this area, obviously, you've got the standard uh, two most famous iconic monsters mm-hmm. from the show. You've got um, a large a bunch of. 
Cybermen and uh, Daleks as well. Yeah, you've got the, the Cybus type Cyberman, the full body, and then some Cyberheads ranging from the, the Tenth Planet, uh, or probably most likely from World Enough and Time. And the Doctor Falls uh, heads, yeah, kind of going right through to the 80s with a nice shiny Silver Nemesis one and then an Attack of the Cybermen Cyber Leader one as well. All mounted on a pole <laughs> yeah. next to Davros, <laughs> an 80s Davros. So, yeah, he's um, you can tell he's been sort of patched up a bit, can't you? We were, sort of, uh, we were looking at his his skirt section and it, it looks like it's been sort of painted over and yeah. different things a few times. Although you could see there was still like a little bit of like some, a few dents and stuff. And I'm pretty sure there was some areas that looked like they're just covered with black masking tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the picture I, I took of it. Um, but yeah, the actual mask itself and, uh, uh, Davros's hand, they look pristine, they look like they've been uh, restored again. Yeah, definitely. And then um kind of a nineteen sixties Dalek next to him as well, which which looks absolutely brand new. So we were speculating whether it was from an adventure in space and time. Because they had they had some some Dalek props for that, didn't they, from from the first Yeah, story. we were because um several of these uh on the like little descriptions that they have like nearby some of them said they were donated by like certain fans, and I believe this one was donated by uh, Andrew Beach, who's a, I think he's one of the founding members of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. I think. Yeah. I um, think so. so, like you say, we were kind of like speculating whether it was either from Thirty Years in the Tardis, or whether, like you say, it looked a bit brand more pristine than than that, and like as if it had been in the uh, the David Bradley uh, uh, drama documentary instead. Yeah, because well, I don't know, but I I got the impression watching that drama that they that they were brand new because they yeah they they, they looked like they've been sort of custom built for it, didn't didn't they? Well, there's a brilliant website if you want to know your Dalek history from the original series uh, called Dalek sixty three to eighty eight. Uh, which is run by a couple of um, really well-known fans. And they also have a uh, YouTube channel as well where they delve into the history of Dalek props and other things like in related to like the background of, of Doctor Who. And these guys know their stuff. They've literally mm-hmm. gone from the original four props that were made for the first Dalek story all the way through to the bits that survive and are used and then reused and swapped over all the way through to Remembrance of the Daleks and the ones that are now held with collectors and stuff. And I, I don't recall a single full, what would you call a dead planet uh, Dalek mm. ever surviving its way. So it's got to be like one of the, a more modern uh, recreation yeah. of it. That's Terranation Army, isn't it? That YouTube channel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah. I'll, um, uh, I mean, Probably, uh, it's probably well, it's a lot more famous than we are, but I'll put a link in the show notes <laughs> if anybody, uh, anybody well, has more subscribers than my YouTube channel, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're amazing. 
this is um, where you've got the cutaway Dalek, isn't it? Where you can like go into it and manipulate the whole thing. So it's nice that that's yeah. um, turned up again. Yeah, and that's a, that's a modern bronze Dalek as well. And then another costume that gets its own kind of mirrored alcove, again, really, really up-to-date one, is Carvanista from Flux. So it looks a bit odd because you've got the whole costume but not the head. So it must have, yeah. uh, uh, you know, either been, been some sort of mask or, or some kind of different attachments on, on the actor's face. Uh, so you've got the, the, the rest of the costume but with the uh, just with the hat sat on top of the on, on, on the breastplate. Uh, yeah, and it's another one that gives a different perspective seeing it in, in real life. Yeah, because I, I, again, it's something that you probably don't notice when you're watching it on TV. It, the almost like samurai quality to uh, that costume, uh, you know, with some of the like parts of the armor, very like, you know, Japanese inspired. And that's something that I'd never like spotted when I watched Flux. And I don't, I didn't even recall him wearing a helmet. And like you said, obviously, we were like, oh, well, what's that on his head? And it's like, oh, I think he wore it in one scene. Yeah, I think I remember right at the start when the doctor is is talking to Carvanista because she's chasing him and uh, it's like a hologram or a video screen and you can't quite make out the details, but he's, he, it gives him a, a completely different profile because he's wearing this hat, I think, just in that scene. And then it doesn't really doesn't really turn up again. But yeah, it, it does add to the, to the samurai feel of it, definitely. Um, and the, yeah, the sort of... Uh, armor that uh that, that comes top of his arms looks like that as well and next to that you've got the uh the dalek mutant from the first new year special from the yeah, resolution resolution yeah i thought was entirely cgi watching the episode but yeah this this is like a physical prop but then when we're talking about it it, it makes sense that for the scenes where where the character has it kind of on her back and wrapped around her when it's controlling her, you'd have something physical on then. So the arms must be kind of flexible and adjustable on it, I suppose. Yeah. Well, again, linking into that, um, on the uh, further along, you've got one of the spiders from uh, Kill the Moon. And again, but, you know, they, they were mainly CG uh, in that episode. But I do remember mm. seeing some behind-the-scenes footage where for some of the scenes where they were being attacked by them, they'd made the, the actual prop itself. So this must be one of those props that they've got like hanging down on a bit of a web, yeah. uh, which for arachnophobes like myself was a little bit like... It's <laughs> mm. because I've seen one of those where it's clamped around one of the space helmets as well, isn't it? So I suppose that might be one that, again, if it's got kind of adjustable flexible arms that you could you clamp on for the character then just rolling on the floor trying to trying to trying to get it off yeah and i'm sure there's a scene where uh capaldi kind of like looks at, at the corpse of a dead one so again that might be where this one's come from because it might be one of the ones that that were needed to be there and we're not going to see a, a dead like um yeah. spider we're just gonna we'll just make it there for you to prod and poke it yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I remember that. I think it's it's when he sort of figures out that they're actually giant bacteria, isn't it, rather than uh, rather than spiders. So what we haven't mentioned yet is the um, cupboard with 
lots of famous monsters or heads of monsters in it uh, that you can open and kind of like then read the descriptions of the, the heads in there. Uh, and there was quite a few known ones, and then there was one that completely stumped us. Yeah, this was the Doctor's Cabinet of Curiosities. What was nice, it was a kind of a big cabinet, and I think if you're a kid going up to this thing, and it's because it, it says like open the open it carefully, and then close it behind you again. If you're a kid walking up to it and then and opening it, and and it is just full of like yeah, kind of really hideous creations. Uh, it would be uh, it would be quite daunting. But yeah, as you say, one of the ones in here, um, and uh, it probably ties in with the with the whole thing of of aliens that are inspired by real life animals. Yeah, because it's like, um, uh, what's the word? Um, okay, is it a fluke? I want to say, um, you know, kind of a kind of a worm with like different rows of teeth. Yeah, inside. yeah, yeah. That that kind of like worm. The ones that they did, the giant ones for for uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, that yes. had those, yeah. yeah, those kind of mouths, yeah, with a kind of yellow skin and and kind of blue blue gills and and blue eyes and things like that. Neither of us recognised it whatsoever. Oh, didn't have a clue. Yeah, which really threw us because uh, you know, kind of lifelong Do- Doctor Who fans, you don't really expect to see a monster. It did make me think afterwards you could really mess with people, couldn't you? If, uh, <laughs> just uh, just put a head in that you've just completely made up, <laughs> um, yeah, to, uh, to to throw people. But yeah, this the the uh, the label revealed that it's from the girl who died, and it's one of the Maya. But we could both remember the Maya having the big chunky boxy armor. But not yeah. what they look like underneath it. So it must have been, it must have been just a small part of the episode where they got revealed. I think. Yeah, because I remember them having the, the, the was it the robot version of Odin that was apparently commanding them, wasn't it? That they had, or wasn't he a hologram? I can't quite remember in the episode. But yeah, and I remember then the big kind of like kind of robot things with the big chunky heads. But I've completely blanked out the fact that. They looked like that when they took the helmets off. He's like, I don't remember that at all. No, no, no recollection of it. And it, it must be, it must be fairly fleeting. But another thing where they they've gone all out on the design for for a monster that isn't seen very much. Yeah, but in that cabinet of curiosities, they also had uh, they had a nude head, didn't they? Mm. A, uh, a, a one that I really liked, uh, looking at the design of it, because it's it's from one of, I think one of the most creepiest of uh, episodes from the new series, is the the flood from the waters of Mars. Yeah, uh, I loved looking at the detail on that. With obviously it was it was the bust of the actor, and obviously mm-hmm. the makeup that they then put onto the actor around it with. The cracked skin, um, and then obviously they touched it up with like kind of like to make it look as if it was covered in water, but then the eyes as well, and that, how that affected the, the the whole human face. That that was that's clever, and um, they had a dream crab in there, didn't they? Yeah, and the whisper men. Yeah, which is a very simplest uh, design, but very effective. I almost remember the names of the dream crabs then because I was listening to them on a, a big finish recently. Begins. Oh, you mentioned that. Yeah, they've been in a yeah. uh, one of the classic monsters, new doctors, uh, or classic. Yeah, classic, classic doctors, doctors new, new monsters. monsters. 
Yeah, the six and the eight Doctor story and that both have the... Oh, I almost had it again. Damn. <laughs> I'm sure it begins with C, but it's uh, it's uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Ah, there you go. Got it there. So we've got a we've got a pig man from Daleks in Manhattan. That's right. Yeah, we got a half from the Doctor's daughter, and we got Jade from uh, the End of the World. Those were the other ones they had in there. But then, great, great example of obviously the makeup that they they do. Yeah, I remember thinking the Pigman looked a lot better than I remembered them looking on screen. Actually, yeah, it looked a lot creepier, didn't it? Yeah, it's almost as if it looked more effective and more creepy without like an actor's eyes behind it. Yeah, yeah, that's probably something to do with it, isn't it? Because they um, without the human eyes, yeah, probably just kind of uh, kind of humanize it a little bit. The other really creepy thing, which was uh, in the next section, was from the Husbands of River Song, the heads of Matt Lucas and Greg Davis. Oh, Greg Davis, yeah. Which was so incredibly realistic. Just just their heads on the on the sort of red metal plates that that you had. Uh, it was uh, King Hydroflax's body, wasn't it? In in the story. Yes. We had the interchangeable heads. And uh, both stood looking at these heads, and you, you expect, almost expected the eyes to open on them. Yeah, because it looked like they were just like disembodied heads, but they, they were so lifelike, they looked like they were just asleep. Yeah. It was really, really creepy, wasn't it? To just like look at them and look at the even the the detail of the blemishes on the skin that they put on there. Um, it reminded me, actually, of um, if you've ever done the... The Wizarding World of Harry Potter, the making of the Harry Potter films down at uh, Watford, which is at the Warner Brothers Film Studios. They've got a lifelike um, mannequin of Dumbledore that they used for spoilers when Dumbledore died and he's in his casket. They didn't get Michael Gambon to lay down there for that scene, but you are literally in this glass case looking at this is it almost as if you're looking at Michael Gambon and you're going, that is just unbelievable. The sheer yeah. detail they've got in his face, the beard looks mm-hmm. real. It's all like, you know, there. And it just looks like he stood up with his eyes closed and that you could any minute now just open his eyes and like start talking to you. What occurred to me looking at it is, you know, when you go to like a waxworks and they're really, really ropey. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> is is um, is is like, you know, if you can if you can make a facsimile to this level of detail, uh, just for one episode of a TV show, why aren't waxworks better? But then I suppose they've they've got access to the actors, haven't they? They can make a cast of the face for yeah. Doctor Who, where waxworks are, are working from reference photos and things like that, um, and maybe that's why they're not as perfectly accurate as these ones are plus in this day and age i think obviously is the whole digital aspect comes into it as well with the whole digital face scans and i think that's Mm. what really uh, makes these things absolutely like you know spot on um, that they can just like take a digital face scan of an actor whilst they're on the set and then they can just recreate that in latex plastic or, or whatever they use like wax uh like as you say it's uh yeah you i remember you certainly said they were better than the uh the waxworks that you'd you'd seen at your, a recent um trip to a waxworks museum yeah just uh last time um uh, 
well, we're on holiday just before the pandemic went to Krakow. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, it was a, like a bit of a tourist trap kind of uh, waxworks thing that we went in. But yeah, they were they were pretty ropey. But I think it was almost part of the appeal was the sort of the kitschiness and the... <laughs> just how bad uh, they were. Like, <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> and next to him, you also had the, uh, the Kablam man. Yeah. That's, um, again, I think this was... Uh, obviously really really well preserved because it's so recent but the seeing the detail on the face close up was uh was really cool and uh and the hands the kind of the uh the, the way hands are sort of jointed yeah i mean that kind of stuff's probably made in like really proper like hard fiberglass or plastic isn't it mm. as well as only the head and the hands as well the rest of it is is just a suit isn't it yeah uh well next to him we had uh, another blast from the past we had the morbius monster yeah, this must have been restored as well. Yes, yeah. It looks it, it it looks absolutely brilliant, doesn't it? Yeah, I believe it's it's from the same restoration uh, when Mike Tucker restored the giant robot. I think he did Broton, the Zygon. Uh, mm-hmm. He did the sixty-seven Ice Warrior, uh, and also he did uh, Morbius. From what I remember of a, a Doctor Who magazine article at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that it's just. I remember going to um, one of the Doctor Who uh, exhibition, stroke museum, whatever they were calling it, reopened further along the Blackpool Promenade in 2003. Uh, And it was just before, obviously, the new series was launched. Um, And I remember seeing the Morbius uh, prop in that um, exhibition, and it was looking a lot worse for wear. It was looking very, very tatty. Um, So you compare that to what it looked like to what it looks like now. It's, it's. They've done a spectacular job on that. Yeah, I think I visited that one, but it was probably about two thousand six, two thousand seven, and I kind of think maybe they had the giant robot as well pre, pre restoration. Yeah, if I remember rightly. and they also had draft row, from what I remember, which oh, I is uh, uh, from the Mysterious Planet, Trial of a Time Lord, yeah. which I is another big, that. imposing kind of like robot. Yeah, I, I suppose, uh, yeah, if, I suppose if he hasn't been restored, they wouldn't want to put him out with the others, but it would be, uh, be good to see him, yeah. does make you wonder where all the, uh, the rest of these props that were... Uh, on display at Cardiff where they are now and yeah. uh, whether or not they're going to turn up um, at the next incarnation of this uh, exhibition. Yeah, so it's opening at the National Museum of Scotland on the 9th of December. Yeah, so we should say um, if anybody's in the Liverpool or Northwest area or you're planning to go up to uh, Liverpool, this version of the exhibition um is there until the 6th of november and that's its last day and as you said it's going to pack up and then uh, move to edinburgh in scotland yeah so i'm imagining it's going to be just wholesale move as it is because it's um because they've got all the uh the the sort of backdrops and the the plaques and everything for these but yeah and uh, i suppose if you're in scotland well worth making the um 
well worth making the trip to uh, to visit this as well. Or an excuse just to go again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's so close for me. I'll be very, very tempted. Yeah, yeah. It would be nice if they put some new stuff in there. Uh, mm. You know, perhaps slight swaps to the odd one or two around. Perhaps like we might get something from Jodie Whittaker's like, um, last episode. Who knows, you know? Yeah, that would make sense once it's gone out to, yeah, to kind of ride the uh, publicity from that a bit as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, and but obviously because we'll then be moving into uh, the 60th uh, next year. Um, I doubt they'll probably have anything from the uh, the 60th specials that they filmed with uh, David Tennant, but, you know, you never know. They might do that as a bit of a publicity uh, gimmick. Yeah, and hopefully this will keep running as well. It'll keep moving from city to city. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd, you'd imagine they want it to keep going through the 60th year to 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 ride the wave of interest that that'll bring as well. Yeah, it would be nice because I think um, when obviously the new series hit the popularity that it really did, um, you know, obviously when it came back and then once David Tennant took over, I think there was something daft like about four or five Doctor Who exhibits around the country. Yeah. You had the Blackpool one. I think you had the one in Cardiff. You had one in Land's End. Uh, and I'm pretty sure there must have been one in London at some point as well. They, were, they used to move around, yeah. Like there was, um, I remember the one at the Life Centre in Newcastle for a little while. The Science Museum in Manchester visited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about that one, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah, I am quite pleased they've gone back to that idea of it moving around because you know, Cardiff isn't the easiest place to get to, you know, if you're kind of um, as far north as I am or, or in Scotland or anywhere. So it is good to to, to move it around and, and give people a chance to see it. Because I remember, I think we were talking about this the other day, as a kid growing up in, in Cumbria, keep reading about the Mummy exhibition and the Daypole one, <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, yeah, just um, just being desperate to go, and my mum just being like, "Not take like she didn't drive or anything like that as well." To be fair, she just <laughs> not going to uh, not going to take you all that way. Just look at some Doctor Who tap kind of thing. Yeah, because I remember for ages, obviously the Blackpool one that was the one that I went to as a kid. Uh, closed in I think eighty five, eighty six, uh, when they put the the series on hiatus. And then you had the the one in Longleat, which is obviously down in Wiltshire. And I remember seeing that still being advertised, and obviously pestering, you know, can we go down? No, we're not. We're not going down there. It's too bloody far, yes. you know. It's like, so I never got to do the the, the one at Longleat because um, obviously I think all the props at Blackpool then moved down uh, to that yeah. one. So, but yeah, it's it's like you say, it's great for the show. I think it's great for fans, and it's great for like kids as well that mm. you know hopefully this is going to keep moving around the country so everyone can get a uh, a chance to to go and uh, see all this stuff in person and uh at the end there's a little shop there is i love a little shop <laughs> i love a little shop and it's also got another tardis you can have a photo opportunity in as well yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's really nice. And this one's got the door open as well, so you can sort of lean out and uh, give a little wave or whatever, or, or look like you're kind of going into the TARDIS. Yeah, which we, we which we both did. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, you, you can't walk past the TARDIS, even if you're if I'm in Glasgow, I can't walk past any of the police uh, telephone boxes that are actually in Glasgow without getting a photo either. Well, I remember 
Yeah. I remember when I went to Comic-Con in London once, uh, we specifically made a detour to Earl's Court where you've got one of the last remaining TARDISes to, or police boxes to, like, you know, pose outside of. Because it's got to be done. Yeah, definitely. I've never seen that one, but I, I, I'd like to see it sometime. Uh, and I found an article on the uh, DoctorWhoNews.net about the about the shop, and it says the National Museum's Liverpool has seen a surge in retail sales following the launch of the world premiere of the Doctor Who Worlds of Wonder exhibition. It's created a huge demand for memorabilia from the hit TV show. A pop-up Doctor Who store at the uh, at the museum has sold more than 11,000 items since it launched, making history for the National Museum of Liverpool as its fastest-selling retail range. So, so that's pretty cool. And they had some stuff in there that... They had the uh, a lot of the merchandise you can get elsewhere, but also specific worlds of wonder, sort of t-shirts and pads and uh, pens and, and fridge magnet. I bought a fridge magnet. Yeah, I think we we, we went for the fridge magnet, didn't we? That was uh, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like the best option. Yeah. Well, the refreshing thing is because there's a danger, obviously, when these kind of things are put on that you know certain stuff that you know you can get at a certain price on the high street or online gets ridiculously marked up. Um, Mm. And I like the fact that they had some of the Doctor Who figures. They had the 13th Doctor figure. They had a Dalek figure from uh, Resolution. They Mm. had uh, the Claws of Axos unit set. And they were all normal prices. They weren't marked up. And, you know, even, Mm. like you say, the T-shirts were a reasonable price, um, weren't they? You know, so that's really refreshing. I thought, you know, because usually there are, you know, you go and see these things and they're like, uh, they stick an extra tenner on on top of stuff, you know. But um, they didn't do it this time. No, that was good. Yeah, they, yeah, some, like you say, captive audience. And you've just come out of, uh, you know, an exhibition where you're absolutely sort of high on Doctor Who and you're like, oh, I've got to get a souvenir. <laughs> uh, so, no, it was, it was good like that. And they had quite a, uh, big selection of eagle moss figures as well didn't they they did yeah yeah and they were uh, quite reasonable as well obviously i think they were missing they weren't with the magazines so they were probably like excess like kind of like stock um but again that they were ranged from about oh i think about five six pounds up until like about 12 pounds depending on the size of what figure it was but yeah you know a, a nice selection and it's a shame that obviously we probably got to the to a point where it they were obviously winding down the stock, you know, because they're about to move on to the next venue. Uh, because I know you saw a really nice T-shirt that you wanted. They just didn't have the size, though. Yeah, they only had XXLs left, I think. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, it was cool, uh, sort of um, almost like a like a planned drawing of the TARDIS console, uh, which is the fridge magnet I got. So I've got I've got the design. But uh, yeah, if I uh, if I do find myself in Edinburgh in the next few months, I, uh, I could probably, probably see myself popping in to try and get one of those. Oh, of course, of course. But yeah, like you say, it's it uh, tickets a reasonable price as well, and I think we probably spent a good, pretty best part of an hour and a half in there. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't think we we got out of there until at least I mean, we had a time because you have a time for these things don't you so you you buy a, a kind of like slot and that's the entry time that you go in and you've got there's no limit on the time that you spend in there but as usual with these kind of things sometimes they're that slight and that you were literally done and dusted within half an hour um 
But we went in at two o'clock, didn't we? Just bang on our entry time. I don't think we came out until at least about 25 to 20 to 4. So, yeah, like you said, we, we spent a good amount of time in there. So well worth the money. No, definitely, de- definitely good value for money. And, um, yeah, I think like you say about the, the number of interactive things where you can watch little videos as well, it, 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 it keeps you in there a bit longer and engages you. And, of course, we had the joy of uh, a trailer dropping as... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> whilst we were in there, so yeah. we uh, could watch that in the cafe once it buffered up. That's it. Yeah, I was uh, yeah struggling to get any <laughs> struggling to get any four G. Yeah, for a while there. Yeah, I think I think all of us were. I think it's the uh, the roof that that uh, cafe that's attached to it is probably made out of. But no, I yeah, I unreservedly recommend it to anybody that wants to go. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, it'll once it's done, it's few months in edinburgh we'll see where it goes next well i know from what i've uh, written down it starts 9th of december like we've said in uh, the national museum of scotland and it's there until next may so uh, i presume depending on the success of it uh, it'll either get a slight extension like uh, the liverpool one has mm-hmm. or it'll probably close down for about a couple of weeks then move on to uh, its next destination so you know, I just hope it continues its success because it's really great to, you know, get to see these kind of things up close and in person because it's so much better than seeing them like either in a, um, you know, article in a magazine or, you know, on an online article, you know, where you can only kind of like look at the pictures. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's really good to see, you know, the level of detail that they put into the show. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I've always loved seeing all that stuff, and and yeah, you say it's not just another exhibition like that because because of sort of the access you've got to it, um, the way you can get that close, and and get more of a perspective on it. So, yeah, and then six months is a good good kind of a good long residency for it in each place as well. So, uh, I guess maybe they'll do Wales next if they've done England, Scotland. Potentially, yeah, I could um, see it like heading back to Wales. Uh, obviously, I don't think it'll uh, go back to its original uh, position because I'm not, not sure the building's still there anymore. But no. <laughs> um, I'm sure they'll find somewhere to put it. Or you know, I, I just hope that it probably doesn't go anywhere. Like um, you know, not disparaging, but you know, London seems to get everything, and it's nice that this is going a bit more more regional yeah. to the areas that don't usually get this kind of thing first so you know I'm, I'm all for it going to london eventually but you know i think somewhere else in the country uh deserves it after uh scotland definitely definitely hopefully carlisle will pitch for it <laughs> <laughs> that'll be two things to go to carlisle for <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true put us on the map finally well, I hope you enjoyed me and Mark talking about the Doctor Who Worlds of Wonder exhibition. And if it is anywhere near you or you can get to one of the destinations that it is either currently at or on its way to, then please do check it out. We heartily recommend it. So, Mark, where can we find you? Uh, online and on social media? I'm on Twitter as at Quark McMallis. And obviously, uh, you'll be tweeting out this podcast uh, as soon as it's uh, ready to go. That's it, yeah. And um, 
Join us next week when we'll be talking about The Power of the Doctor. Ooh, fantastic, yeah, because that's due for broadcast soon. Uh, A 90-minute special with lots of surprises planned. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at DjangoMac72. You can also find me on YouTube, two YouTube channels, Bearded Geek Toy Reviews and Bearded Geek Escapades, of which is my new kind of like travel channel. And there's a quick 10-minute video showing you the delights uh, of Doctor Who Worlds of Wonder on there if you want to check that out as well. Yeah, that's really fantastic as well. I meant to mention that earlier. That's uh, Yeah, that's a really nice kind of uh, little um, taster of it as well. Yeah, I didn't want to give too much away. So, like, obviously, and obviously, we were too busy to kind of like in awe of the stuff ourselves. So, <laughs> I wasn't conscious of filming every single aspect of it. But, like you say, it's just there to give you a little bit of a, a taster and not spoil too much for you. So, uh, but yeah, so if you want a little preview of the actual exhibition itself, head over to uh, my YouTube channel and you'll see a quick video there. Great. And we'll have links to that in the show notes as well. Fantastic. So, well, thanks for listening and uh, join us on the next Trap One podcast. See you now. Bye now.